Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is the Risk and Reward Podcast with Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen and Company. And today I have a very special guest, longtime friend, Angela Iacoboni. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. And thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. Well, I mean, I've had a couple of years of experience with that. Mm-hmm. Just being friends. Yes. Not just seeing the name and then, you know, because I don't know how we could pronounce that just by looking at it. Mm-hmm. But who are you? What do you do? Who am I? Okay, so I'm Angela, and by degrees, I'm a master social worker. I have my own private practice in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I do counseling with children and families. So uh, walk us through what a day-to-day looks like for you. For me? Yeah. At my practice? Well, I mean, you could say like we make peanut butter and jellies for (laughs) the children before they go to school or something like that. But So social workers, for those that don't know, we are everywhere. So we are in schools, we're in jails, hospitals. There's um, just social workers in so many different sort of organizations and, and levels, micro and macro. So I took a clinical track with my education which allows me to um, be a counselor, a therapist. So I, do you want the whole story? Yeah, of, go ahead. Seriously. <laughs> fascinating story. <laughs> um, so after I got my bachelor degree from, first I came down here to Southeastern. Mm-hmm. It was Southeastern College back then. Now it's university. You met a wonderful person. I did. I played volleyball at Southeastern and met your wife, yes. Allie. Yes. It was Allie Eisner. But, yep. Um, yes. And then I transferred back home to Grand Valley State University Got my undergrad in social work, was so idealistic and naive. I was like, the world is going to love that I'm here and that I'm a social worker. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. That is not how the world views social workers, unbeknownst (laughs) to me. Um, And I'm like, I'm good with that. I can be fine as long as I know I'm doing good. It doesn't matter that they pay you nothing and that everybody hates you. I can run on my inspiration. That lasted six months. I was a caseworker, um, a foster care caseworker, which is just such important work. Um, I thought I was going to have a whole career in that. Um, but it became very clear that, wow, that is that is a special calling. And I don't know if I was quite called there yet. Um, a little naive and um, it was very intimidating. So was it the culmination of your life at that point or was it? It was my life at that point. There's a lot of um, like state training you have to do to be a caseworker. I was getting married at that time and never went to any of the trainings. Like they just didn't send me because I was getting married and then my honeymoon. So I went six months. Right. Like any caseworker right now that is listening to this is horrified because that is so irresponsible to send a 21-year-old person to court to report on people's lives. Like these are kids who are removed from their parents. You're trying to reunify this family. I should not, I should have some training. Yeah. Like lots of training on that, hours and hours. So didn't do that. It was on the job training. So it was it was a lot of um, case noting and court reporting that you do. And there's a lot that goes into that. And I wanted to be good at that, but my life was pulling me in a different direction. So I went back to um, to school and got my master's because you can do a lot more with your master's degree in social work. It's a very broad field. Okay. Um, so when I hear people sometimes they're like, oh, I can't decide between psychology or something. And I'm like, do social work because you can do all of that that you were going to do with psychology and so much more. You will get paid far less, but you will have more opportunity. So that's so what I did. So with that broadness, mm-hmm. you decided to focus on children. Yes. Yeah, so when I went back to get my master's in social work, you could take, I think there was like an education track. So you could be a school social worker. There was a clinical track and then more of a macro level, like grant writing, um, 
like organizational type track. And so my program was a generalist program. So they kind of teach you everything, but you have to choose a track. And I went the clinical route. So more of like a one-to-one relational. I didn't so win. you meet with the kids. What's the, what's the ultimate goal and objective as you meet with children? I mean, is as it a therapist? Yeah. I mean, is it as a therapist? I mean, are you, are you, I mean, you're clearly looking at their entire lives. You're looking at their home life. Mm-hmm. Is it to get them on a better track? Is it just to check mm-hmm. in with them, kind of like a guardian ad litem, or is it all oh, of those things? Okay, so it's interesting because you do set goals with your clients. Working with kids, naively again, I was like, I never want to work with adults. They're the worst. I just want to work with the kids. Guess who you work with when you work with kids, right? <laughs> I would imagine they're guardians. They come with the parents who are usually the ones messing things up behind the scenes a little bit. That's kind of where the problems can start. Not all the time, Not but all the time. a lot of the time I'm like, oh, okay, so this will clear up with the kid if I can clear this up over here. Right. Shoot, now I've got to work with well, these I can two. clearly see that in my own children on the effects. Oh, of, you're messing them up every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like to think of them as like manatees, mm. right? Like where they kind of got the boat scars, <laughs> right? I just, I don't know how I'm running over my kids. I hope not. <laughs> but, but you sure are. <laughs> but one day they'll be in a counseling session telling me, you know, hey, oh you goodness. remember when you did this? Yeah, I hope I do remember that. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Well, okay, so if you want the whole trajectory of the story here, after the casework, went back to college, came back out in the world, and then I found, okay, I was watching a lot of Law & Order SVU at the time, <laughs> just full disclosure. So that I was, was the like, research that we were doing? That, that's what I was watching through grad school, and I'm like, I need to find, like, I want to be a forensic interviewer. I want to be the one, I want to work with um, victims of child sexual abuse and their families, on this collaborative team, it's it's real. Those exist everywhere. You have them here in your county. And I'm sad that exists. Yes, but it's so, so important. Yeah. So this is a specialized Gosh. unit of people, social workers, therapists, doctors, um, uh, detectives. It's a collaborative effort. Um, and they're called, back where I live in Michigan, they're children advocacy centers. You have them down here. They're called all different things. But um, I worked on one of those teams. And that's where I'm like, finally, this is where I'm going to spend my whole career. I'm going to be a forensic interviewer. Um, I did a little bit of that there, and then I became a therapist at the Children's Advocacy Center that I worked at. So, How do you have, I mean, just as a side point, because I'm trying to think through this. I mean, that is gut-wrenching work. Yes. How do you, how do you have the stamina to report to work every mm-hmm. single day? Okay. So working on a collaborative team like that, where you're sort of in the trenches with a very specialized group of people, these detectives are assigned to these kind of cases. Um, the doctors, they, we had... In one building, we had all of these people. Mm. And so everybody's working on a team for the same thing. So you get this case, and it's gone through this detective, this doctor. It's not just your set of eyes on it. It's five different people. Um, It gets you through. You're like a family. It makes you pretty jaded about the rest of the world. Like you go out there. If I hear anything going on, I'm like, who touched you? Yeah. Like there's – and statistically, at least at the time, my statistics might be a little old on this – but it was like one in four girls and one in seven boys by the time they're oh my 18. Gosh. Yeah. And I don't think it's changed all that much. So, yeah. I mean, statistically, that's happening everywhere. I could go on a whole tangent about that, how, what to look for and, you know, all that. So I'm trained in that way, trained as a forensic interviewer, um, and then did more counseling at the Children's Advocacy Center. Um, so how did you how did you go from that family, right, yeah. your work family, into starting your own business? Okay, here's where it takes a turn. <laughs> Leadership. Okay. I hope nobody from back home is listening. Um, so there was some changeover at the top at the advocacy center, 
And um, I think it was going to come down to, can I conform to this new style of leadership or not? And it's difficult when you have police, CPS workers, social workers, therapists, um, everybody's trained in there. We answer to our people. Uh, yes. Detectives answer to their sheriff or, you know, their captain, CPS. They work for the government. So, but you've got this boss of this nonprofit organization who's over all of that. But she, can they really tell you what to do when you're... So there... With this new leadership, we were all sort of not thrilled, and it started sort of tearing things apart a little bit. Um, I think that was years and years ago, and I think there's been a turnaround, and they're doing good now. But I got out during that time. Never in a million years did I think I would leave. I wanted my whole career to be there forever. But um, it just became, I called it like a think tank. Like Mm -hmm. They really wanted everybody to see life and do life the same way, and I wasn't about that. Um, you weren't the world about that life. wasn't about that <laughs> life. Um, and there was just a lot of politics getting in involved in everything, not just work politics, like w- real world politics. Um, and it was affecting my ability to work with these kids like I always had. Like it is very hard for a, count, a therapist who's working with these families and knows these families intimately, who has sat with these families who are devastated. And I've been to court and I've testified with these families, like all of yeah, this. Yeah, you start knitting your heart to those people. And then you get a macro level like boss coming in like a bull in a china shop who doesn't work with people like that. She's not a therapist. She's a mm-hmm. businesswoman or she's got something else, different background. And she's like, no, this is how we're going to do things. And that upset the apple cart big time um, on all sort of different levels. So separated myself from that and decided to go into a group practice. So an already existing counseling practice, um, applied there and got a job where they do like a, a split, they call it in our field. So you're you're a therapist in this group and you pay a certain percentage to the top And guy. everybody gets their feet You up. get whatever it is, 70 and he takes 30. So I'm like, okay, this is amazing. I can do the same kind of work. The downside was my clientele totally changed. I'm so used to trauma and, and child sexual abuse that to get just a what I called like a basic, okay, your kid's just like nervous at yeah. school. Like what? You got I, some anxiety. But who touched them? Like what yeah. do you mean? Yeah. So it's a downshift into It was a little that. downshift. And, um, and now to go back into that trauma world would be probably a huge shift back for me because I've just been doing this for so long now. So did that and was like, this is so much more freeing. So every step of my career, there was just like this layer of freedom, this door that opened where I'm like, oh, this is better than that. And it's just this natural sort of step-by-step progression. But I never, I am not the kind of person who set out with like goals. And like when when they (laughs) try to make you do that in life, I'm like, oh crap, because tomorrow I might feel different or, you know, the wind is taking me this way today and I want to be open to that. So So I want to, I want to put a pin in it real quick because we got to take a break (laughs) and then we're going to come right back. All right. We're back with my friend, Angela. So we, we saw leadership change. Mm -hmm. We started, that started uh, going against the grain. Now, Where I kind of want to pivot is, you know, if we can fast forward a little bit through the story, Mm -hmm. because I want to get to why we're here. Okay. Okay. So um, go ahead and and connect us with the group. Yeah, get us there. Okay. Taking us home. So after the group practice, um, my colleague, I had a colleague who worked with me at the um, Children's Advocacy Center. We left at the same time. We went to this private practice together. I was happy as a clam there, and she was like, we can do more. We can." She's like a driver-type personality. 
She's like, we can have our own private practices. And I was like, whoa, that <laughs> seems like a grown-up thing to do. And I don't know how it's to do that. Adulting 101. Wow. And I should say we are play therapists. Um, so I'm sort of the creative edge, and she's more of the... What is no, that? A, is that a real word, or use that like a made up? A play therapist? Yeah, that is real. It's real. I, I don't know. I'd have no clue. I mean, I've never even heard that term in my life. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes, play therapy is very real. So everyone else on the other side of this microphone is going to know what that is, except for me. Probably. Okay. Good. And well, do I dare tell you I also do sand tray therapy? Does that sound I real? No, oh my gosh. I have no. Okay. I know what sandbox is. I know what sand like is that. in general. Kind of like that. So yes. Um, you know, kids aren't going to sit there and just tell you their whole life. Sometimes a lot of the trauma and things that happen are pre-verbal. So they play it out. Language or the play is the language of children. Oh, that makes more, way more sense. There you go. Yeah. So um, we went on this path. Her name is Allie. I have to give her a shout out because without not my her, Allie. not your Allie, yep. this is my Michigan Allie. And she was like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to do this. So she's the one that got the tax ID. She's the one that was like, hey, sign here, fill this out. I'm the one who designed the play therapy office and got all the supplies we need. If you walk into my office, it looks like Toys R Us a little bit. Um, God rest Toys R Us soul. Oh, yes. R.I.P. But um, those are all tools of the trade that are in there. So we share a space. So now we have our own separate private practices. Um, She works two days a week. I work two days a week and um, separate businesses under one roof. And, um, yeah, so that's where we both work with the same population. We refer clients back and forth to each other, but we are independently on our own, I think since 2018. So these are these court ordered? No. Okay. So everything sort of changed. It went from this nonprofit world to this group practice where they sort of gave me clients at the group practice. Um, And now it's referrals from my colleagues, from um, schools, people find you on online. There's all sorts of different ways. So... So on my own. So you're coming down to Florida to visit us, visit Allie and then me. Yeah, not you. Right, not me. Okay, got it. Um, So I asked you, hey, listen, you're really good with (laughs) the Enneagram and personalities, and we were going to talk about um, how people deal with money via personalities, but we're not going to talk about that. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. Um, And what we're going to talk about is actually your new venture. Yes, my next step (laughs) in the story. (laughs) (laughs) Which is you're creating a school. Yes, so, or have created. It's current. It's present tense. It is happening. It is It is real. Yes. So, I mean, this goes out to all the people out there who are like me that don't want to set goals or that just feels overwhelming. And how do you know what you're <laughs> going to want to do? I'm telling you, you can serendipitously to... walk through life accidentally, step by step, and it will work out okay. I think, I mean, you are tearing my heart out well, right now as like I am goal oriented. Yeah, and some people are, and that works for them. Sure. But I, the minute I feel like boxed in like that, like I got to commit this on a piece of paper, like what I want to, oh, heck no. Because I'm a Christian, okay? So like I like to leave myself open to like where's God going to take you? And so I don't want to limit him in any way. I don't want any of like my flesh to get in the way. So I try to just be like whatever. Like I'm happy where I'm at, and I invite God into that. Like use me here, and when the time is up, you know, take me somewhere else. And he does. So it's very entrepreneurial to say, I don't like the situation that I'm in as far as the people who are leading me in my business. Mm -hmm. What was the step for a school to go say, we're going to go do this? So my work as a counselor has informed this big time. So as I had my private practice, and I would say through the years, no matter what agency or organization I was at, 
there was this common theme, almost like I'm collecting this anecdotal evidence that like there is something going on with kids and school. Um, why is this constantly the root cause of anxiety or depression or whatever? So I might be treating kids with ADHD, but they have this issue at school where they're just seen as like a behavior problem or they're struggling with homework in this way. And then I'm noticing that the whole family unit centers around the homework and prepping this kid for the tests. And what are, what's their grade point now, average? Now, do, are you saying that the this that education or that school was the causation of it, or was it no. just kind of bringing it out, bringing no. out the problems? You know, or is that wrongly? I think I would have. I'm blaming. Okay, is it the teacher, or is it the school, or is it the principal, or is it these parents? And the more layers you pull back, it's just sort of a broken system. There's not one person to blame here. Teachers are wonderful people doing the best that they can with very little resources mm -hmm. and like 30 kids in the classroom to manage. So I think people go into it with the right hearts and the right reason. But there's like this red tape and all that. It's not it's a one size fits all. That's the problem. And that bugs me. I'm not a one size fits all person. And so and I had my own experience growing. We all went to school. Right. And you can look back and be like, oh, I thought this was just the way you had to do it there. There's another way to do education. Like, why don't we try something different? Like Montessori <laughs> does that a little bit. So at, through the years, I'm like, I am treating kids at seven, eight years old with full blown anxiety disorders over school stuff like this is ridiculous. Like, what do I do? And and I couldn't really affect the situation like I wanted to because the system is what it is. So you can you know, give them little coping skills in school and meet with the social worker and try to accommodate certain things. But at the end of the day, it's like you have to sit there and do school this certain way. Like that's just how the world is. So through that process, I decided when I had my own two children, I want something different for them. I'm going to find something different for them. Please, God, don't make me build something different for them. Let there be something already <laughs> in existence. Um, and Did I found you really that. have that thought? Like, I don't want to have to go create this, but uh, I will if I have to. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Okay. And I would have felt my way through the dark and probably would have quit 10 hundred times throughout the process because I can get off on bunny trails a lot. So I found it. I found a learner driven school um, not too far from my house and they do education completely different. They take some principles from Montessori. Um, it's a go at your own pace sort of thing. It's very entrepreneurial, which I think is cool for the kids. Um, they study a certain subject for like six weeks. So let's say it's like space. Their mornings will be academic. Their afternoons, the whole school is studying this one topic. And they sort of build in those academic standards around this really interesting topic. And the kids take a ton of ownership in their education. They sort of drive their own education. Hmm. So no tests, no homework, no quizzes. They have to prove mastery in other ways. I could go on and on about it. But I sent my kids there and I was like, good. I can keep doing my job over here, and I got my own two kids. That's all I care about. At the end of the day, they're taken care of. Well, <laughs> God had other things in store because through the years, I'm working with these clients, and I'm trying to refer them to these other schools. When I see a certain set of issues in a kid, I'm like, have you thought about putting your kid in, into a different kind of school? The problem is they're not affordable, and the only one I knew of was by – where I send my kids, which is at least a half hour away from my office. So, so it's inaccessible. Inaccessible and too expensive. Um, and and it's my kids go to a Christ-centered school, and not all families wanted that either. So it was just kind of like, oh, how do I how do I help people just not just throw in the towel um, and say, well, this is just how it is, so I guess we're going to keep my kid here. Like I wanted something more, and I wanted them to have options, and there were no options. 
So fast forward to um, COVID. COVID mm-hmm. was special time for all of us. Yep, well, you guys in, down here in Florida, you had a different situation. <laughs> it's a, a little bit different than a little Michigan. different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I took a two month sabbatical in Florida during COVID, um, so I could breathe. <laughs> so anyway, literally. Um, <laughs> Gonna have to cut that out. Oh, maybe, okay. maybe, but probably not. Probably not. Okay. Um, so COVID, I think this is universal, probably across the spectrum of careers, where it really shook things up and made you look at what you were doing differently, maybe for the first time. And I was like, huh, how can I work smarter, not harder? I have to somehow homeschool my kids during this time. I have to somehow still be a counselor. So that went virtual. Try doing play therapy virtually. No, thank you. That's probably what my client said, and that's right, what right, I'm saying. Right. So it was difficult. Um, and during that time, I did take a two-month sabbatical, came down here to Florida, sort of clear my head, um, and figure out, am I – like this little shakeup that I'm feeling in my career, like what does this mean? What do I want to do? Is this a pivot time where, like, maybe I could do my work a little differently because um, maybe I like being home with my kids a little more. Or maybe there's something smart about seeing some clients virtually, but not all clients virtually. So I just wanted to take some time, take a little break, because um, I worked straight through COVID. There was no time off. I had, like, whatever. In our state, they said two weeks to flatten the curve or whatever. Right. So we all took two weeks off, and then it turned into two years. So I worked through all of that with my clients, because guess what? These kids were still getting problems. messed up during COVID. Yeah. And so they're still needing their sessions. And man, don't even get me started on the long-term effects on children that this whole thing is going to have. So um, during that time, do we need to take a break? We do need to take a break. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a break. <laughs> Thank you for letting me take a break. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Um, so we're getting to the creation of the school. We are. So um, summer of 2021, lots of political stuff going on in the district in which my office is at, and parents are pulling their kids out of the schools left and right, okay? Um, it's a pretty conservative, like, farming town where my office is at. Did they know what they were doing whenever they were pulling their kids out? No. Did they they're just like, we're, oh, no. we're done, but we like, don't know what we're going to do next? I just think uh, people were between a rock and a hard place, and it was like, do we sacrifice our kids? Like, that's where you draw the line, right? Like, you can't. It's heavy. You know, I can disagree with politics here and there, but I'm still going to drink their coffee and, you know, whatever. But when yeah. it comes to your kids, that there's like no, yeah. yeah, people are pulling their kids out. Teachers were leaving. Like things were happening. That was very clear. It wasn't, um, it didn't align with the values of the community. It was coming from the state, like yeah. outside influences. So, and it's no different than anything that was going on around the country with parents being kept out of school board meetings and, and things like that. So we've all heard those stories. So that was going on. That was sort of the backdrop of summer 2021. Um, my colleague, I mentioned, Allie, uh, it was her first year. Her little girls were going off to kindergarten and she in this district. And she's like, I can't send them. Like, what are we? What am I going to do? And over the years, she has wanted to send her kid to a similar education model that my kids go to. But again, it's far from where she lives and it's not affordable. And so we were like, someone should open another one of these schools out by our office so we can refer clients there and it would be so great. Well, everything sort of came to a head in the summer. People are pulling their kids out, including Allie. And it was like, it's now or never. Like, are we going to do this? I think we've got to do it because who's going to do it? So parents are pulling their kids out. They cannot afford private school. And they a lot of them work, two parents working. They can't homeschool their kids. So what are we going to do? Our grand idea, and this makes me laugh because God is always like, you idiot, that is not <laughs> that is not the best I can do. That's what Angela thinks should happen. But we're like, let's build a homeschool pod in an Allie's house. So what we'll do is hire some private teacher to do a learner-driven model in Allie's house. 
um, and get, well, I don't know, maybe 10 kids to join. It'll be great. And we can just sort of control this little, we called it like a life raft. We're going to build a life raft for 10 kids and then Allie's two daughters. So we um, put out the word on Facebook. Because that's where you got it. Because that's stuff. where you go. Yeah. Yep. It was like some informed parent group for the city that she lived in. And we're like, hey, any like-minded people want to maybe do education a little differently? Because that was our main goal, was to do education differently. Yes, to get our kids out of there. But, like, here's a chance to kind of combine those two things. Um, and so we woke up the next day to 300-plus emails. Oh, Nice of people like whatever you're doing we i'm like uh so we so how do you select 10 out of 300 right so i looked at her and it was like terrifying and she's more she's smarter than me way smarter than me she's like this is this is a problem and i'm like let's do it (laughs) (laughs) what can go wrong here right it's just a school whatever we called it do we want to build a life raft or do we want to build like a cruise ship sometimes we call it the titanic just to joke but it's not the titanic it's sailing right 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 but Basically, we are um, building the plane while we're flying it. We also say that. Um, There's a lot of dark imagery around this idea. (laughs) But we decided to bring on an education consultant and see if we could do this thing justice for more than just 10 kids for the community. And um, we already had a good blueprint from the school that my kids went to. Um, I've watched them. You know, my daughter's 10, so I've watched her over the years and how this model can work. And I'm like, I think we can... Maybe consult with them for some ideas, but let's try it. Let's. This will be what we're aiming for. Have um, you had other schools pitch in and just give you advice on what to do? Have has everyone played nice in the sand there um, together? My children's school has. Okay, um, there we go. We got I, one. I, we've got one. <laughs> um, I would say there are major hurdles to get over because people get so defensive about education. I'm, I'm like, can we you, all it, just admit that something's broken? And not, it's not just this area of the world. There's lots of my fields broken in a lot of ways. Yeah. So. Can we just, it's for the kids. Can we, and it's all about options. If your child is thriving in a traditional one-size-fits-all model, more power to you. If Absolutely. your kid thrives homeschooled, awesome. We yep. need options. That's all. Absolutely. I agree. So, and not every child is, they're not all created the same. There's not a single one created the same. And that's the whole point is kids learn best in different ways. So why can't we just offer that to the children? So um, we decided to hold a meeting in the community at some local church, invited everybody out, hired an education consultant. That was in July, and this school opened mid-September, by the grace of God. We were like, non-negotiables, must be affordable, must be flexible for families, um, must be Christ-centered. The education can tend to be a black hole of expenses. Yes. Right. <laughs> sure, sure is. <laughs> right. I can confirm. Um, so h- how do you price that to make it yeah. affordable? This is what we did. Um, we prayed and Allie and separately we prayed like what is this because Allie's like I have to be able to afford to send my own kids to my own school like this has to be drastically different and I'd say on average it's about nine or ten thousand dollars in our area for private school um my kids school has like a sliding scale per situation year, going on child. yeah yep so um we prayed separately and came back together with the exact same number of four thousand dollars and it was a done. I, we had did no research. I have no idea what it costs, but I'm like, holy smokes, four thousand dollars. So what it. did your what did your education guy who or person who was saying, yeah, th- I mean, did they say, yeah, four grand should do it? She took a deep breath and was like, okay, <laughs> this is what we're gonna do. And I think she thought, you know, I'm out of this in just a couple months. Like right. I'm here to help you as long as I get paid. I'm, I'm gonna be done. <laughs> Oh, there's a story behind that too. Guess who still works for us and is teaching at our school right now? Really? Yes. Spoiler alert. So anyway, 
non-negotiables were Christ-centered, learner-driven, affordable, family-flexible. So $4,000, $3,500 for an additional sibling, and we offer a hybrid program where you can only come in the afternoons if you want, and you can skip the academics in the morning. Nobody does that. Joke's on us. They all send their kids yep. all day, yep. 9 to 315. It's something. So but so what are, we did it. what is your hand in this now? How- so, okay, I thought I'm going to start this school. I'm going to get it off the ground. I'm sort of consulting a little. I thought about maybe we talk about moving our practices to the school and seeing kids from the school. There's lots of needs there. Um, I thought I'd be on the board. That sounded fancy. I don't even know what it entails to be on a board, to tell you the truth, but... <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Day one, we walked in and realized, oh, no, like the teachers that we've hired here, God bless them. They were coming out of a traditional system. They believed fully in we can do education differently. But it's one thing to know that and and to try to do that. That was not going to work. We became very clear that sometimes you're just set in your ways and this model needs to look very differently. And so we parted ways with some of the teachers we hired right away. And I stepped in and now I am teaching at my own school. (laughs) While I'm running my practice, you can. I laugh. You have to laugh or you'll cry, Holland. Yeah. So laugh. Yes. Um, so how's the school going now? It's awesome. I would quit my other job in a hot second if I could. Um, if I could, you know, I don't pay myself at at the school. So um, this is literally a labor of love. Yeah. This is like ministry work. This is. I can totally see when I look over the trajectory, the step by step, like how wow, this was never in my plan. How many quote, kids unquote. are going to the school? Um, so we started, I think, with forty-two. We have a wait list for next year. Just hired some more staff, and yeah, we started. My kids' school that they go to is only fifteen or sixteen kids. So we this is uncharted, and we opened a high school, which is un- <laughs> no one's done that. Like we couldn't find another one that's doing what we're doing. So how do you get accreditation on this? So to open legally um, by the time we needed to be opened, so we're pursuing be, being a registered school, which is a lot of legal stuff and the government's all backed up because of COVID. So we're in the process of that. So to open legally in the fall, we opened as a homeschool extension program. Every parent signs a piece of paper saying we're homeschooling. State doesn't, our, we have an educational attorney as well and worked with the state. They know we're up and running and legal and nothing shady going on. But the state doesn't really monitor what you're doing at home. Um, just the fact that you have that piece of paper. So we are technically supplementing whatever they're teaching these kids at home. But I, I'm not monitoring what they're teaching them at home. And they're all sending them to me from 9 until 3.15. So once we become registered, it will be a seamless transition. into like our program will look exactly the same. How long until you're registered, do you think? That's up to the government. <laughs> But we actually found this is like a nice little sweet spot being a homeschool extension because the sure. burden's really on the families. <laughs> We're like, well, that's on you because you're the homeschool mom. No, I'm just kidding. All right, but well, it, it is nice because um, there's a lot of red tape that the registered schools had to deal with, um, with like the masks and all of that, that we were not a part of because we were a homeschool extension. So That's brilliant. All right. Well, let's take our last break. All right, we're back with Angela Yacoboni, school creator. <laughs> yeah. So so where do we go from here? What does the future look like in the next mm-hmm. one to five years? What do you, Where do you guys want to bring it? The school? Yes. We want to have our own building. Allie would love to have, like, farm animals are at you, our school. Are, are y'all, I mean, so what do you use for a building right now? We are renting a church. So every Friday we pack up our entire school, we clean the church, we put it on a trailer, all of our items, and then on Sunday nights we unpack it all and set it up for Monday. So this is 
This, this is, is my whole a seven-day a week thing. I went from working two days a week, getting to hike on my days off, go to the beach. In Michigan, we have beaches. Yeah. No sharks. <laughs> you can't beat it. You can't beat it. Um, to like it, on paper, that's this is my nightmare to be locked into this like full-time job with teenagers. Like they're not my cup of tea. I love working i'm sixth through 11th grade i'm teaching like the oldest kids in the school and it's five days a week plus the weekends and oh i write the curriculum i am writing the curriculum let that sink in so how do you get the accreditation if you're writing the curriculum what do you mean i mean they they, they, you have to get them to approve the curriculum as well i mean is that a separate process or is it all unilateral Uh uh-uh you can write your own curriculum i mean i I look at the academic standards like what they need to graduate and then I build curriculum around that. And so when you have this idea in July and you open in September, you're not ahead. So I am literally writing the curriculum that I'm going to implement tomorrow. But I once need... we get going and the curriculum's written, then yes. it's kind of set yes. for a couple of years yes. at least. And then we've been contacted little by little. People, word gets out in other communities far away from where I actually out of state. I I consulted with somebody who opened something similar here in Florida um, this past summer. Where they're like, well, show us how to do this in our area. We want more options for kids in our area. And we are seeing, I didn't even talk about the turnaround we are seeing in these kids who were slipping through the cracks at their other schools for different reasons. Um, like diagnosing dyslexia, visual impairments, ADHD, autism. Like I Because it's individualized. It's every kid in my school gets an IEP where you would need to qualify for that. I don't know if yeah, they I know. have I'm that familiar. here. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you would need to qualify for that. And these are kids who are just missing the mark. So do you have a maximum number of students that you would say that would need to be in your school? Like we're, we can't, this is capacity for us. Um, it's, it's sort of like a cart before the horse sort of thing. Like we, we want a one to 10 ratio with the teachers. So it's like we have this wait list of kids and then we can justify hiring another teacher right. for this group. You know what I mean? So you'll kind of so, know when you get there. Yeah. And they're blended ages. So K through two are together and then three through five and then six through 12. And then our high schoolers have an internship program that'll kick off next fall or this coming fall where they're um, in the afternoons. They go to work and we want them to learn about what they love so that they don't go to college and waste thousands and thousands of dollars for on a degree they're never going to use. So we put them out in the field. They can make money. Um, we're starting right now, the next six weeks when I get back home, we're doing a business, um, exploration. So Mm -hmm. six weeks of studying how to build a business from K through 11th grade, they will be creating their own businesses and we'll have a market and they'll sell their products and yeah. So where would you like to see this in 10 years? I would like to see this available everywhere. I think Christian education should be affordable and for everybody who wants it. Um, I think a model like this should be for any kid that would do better in a model like this. We shouldn't have to drive a million miles away from home um, to do this. So I'd like to help, and I know Allie's heart as well, is to, once we get up and running and thriving, to do this everywhere. Teach other communities. In every community, it'll have a little different flavor, depending on where you're from. It can look different, um, but we would love to sort of take our blueprint and pass that along and, and help people get started, because it was the hardest thing to do this on our own without do you see the school families pitching in alongside of you yes they're so grateful it's it's so rewarding i i just cannot believe the comments we get from parents like i got my kid back that's got to be a major parenting win um like when win whenever Mm -hmm. uh you're involved in your kid's school to to such a degree that you're pitching in on the weekends yeah they help us there was a lot of unlearning that has to happen when you're used to a traditional school where 
you know, the, your relationships with the teacher and the teachers informing you all this about the kid, we empower the students to have these conversations with their parents. We're not sending notes home. We're not bombarding them with emails. It's a learner-driven school. So the kids take ownership of their education. They set their goals in the morning. They track their goals all day. They, we want to equip them to have conversations with their parents about their education, not just all through this adult. And they're not measured by these grades and tests. Why do you think, and this is probably real quick because this segment's not long, but why do you think we become so dogmatic the way that we do education individually? Because that's what it's always been. It's like a factory setting. It's like this industrial revolution. But it's almost like if you if you believe I'm not I'm this is a very general statement, but if you believe in a way of education, you're like this is the way it's supposed to be. It's easier. Just it's easier to believe it. I mean, that's what's to treat them all the same and not have to craft curriculum per child. Yeah, but I mean, I feel yeah, throw a test in front of them, measure them that way, and then you have this number. But what they don't realize is that's a kid's identity. That's like these kids think they're stupid because they got this score. If you're a great test taker, fantastic. But what does that even, what do you know tomorrow? Are you yeah. a creative person? Are you kind? Do you share well? Like you right. can't measure those things on a test. Do you have an ability to learn? Test. Do you have an ability to think yeah, through a problem we want, or study? Yes, yeah. we don't want to tell them what to learn. We want to show them how and then set them free. I wish I had that yeah. when I was a kid. There's a, you know, they and our school's mastery based. You don't move on. You might be here in math. You might be like fifth grade level here, but you're seventh grade level here. And we let that happen. We don't say, well, the class is here right now. So you're so you not allowed to, to move up. on. Yeah. And it's okay if you're that far behind because we know you will catch up. I mean, do you, but you still want to see progression. Oh, yeah. At their and speed. we do. And um, every kid, we tested them all at the beginning of the year, like little assessments at the beginning of the year. Everyone's two years behind. COVID did a number. On, and that's not just our school. That's nationwide now. I don't I do believe that. And these poor yeah. kids, they're not where they should be. And instead of going back and patching those holes in education, we're just lowering the standards for graduation. Hmm. So we want to be mastery-based. We want the kids to at least have an 80% or higher in whatever they're doing before When, when is your, on. I mean, for who you have in the school right now, who's your first graduating senior? I mean, you don't, obviously, not oh, no names, but how many? sweet girl. Okay. Yeah. She's an artist. And, and when will she graduate? And I heard from next year. And oh, wow. what I heard from her is my teachers hated me. I hear this all the time. They hated me. They hated me. What do you mean? How could any, you're like so wonderful, but it's because they couldn't sit there at the desk and like she doodles, she draws. She's a wonderful artist. We just let her do it. She sits on a beanbag on the floor during school. She learns while she doodles and she creates beautiful things. Like God made her that way. She's, mm -hmm. you know, and other kids, they, they like the desk. That's great. Some kids need a brain break and they got to go take a walk outside or they want to read a book under the tree outside. Like, that's OK. So we there's that flexibility that we have room for. It's really interesting that you guys are just doing this differently. So I like to close my podcast in with two questions. What are what are you reading or what are you listening to that's kind of feeding <laughs> into your life right now? And I, well, always the Bible. OK. Um, and my Bible, if anyone's like, oh, that's so confusing. Mine is chronological order. Oh, wow. So it helps me. It's like a story, a story that makes sense now because it's in order. <laughs> so I recommend it highly to anybody. Um, I read a lot about the Enneagram. I'm really big into like personality that informs a lot of what I do at my practice and also work I do at the school too. Um, so I will read anything about the Enneagram. I'm going through my coaching certification right now. Um, it's a faith-based Enneagram program, so anything they put out, I'm listening to podcasts. I'll be listening to your podcast. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate it. So uh, where are you most encouraged by the world around you right now? Kids. I, again, could never work with adults. 
<laughs> Gotta get them while they're young. And yeah, it's so rewarding. Like, I mean, they're so resilient. But you hear so many things about, uh, you know, the generation this, and yeah. this day. I mean, are you, but you're saying I'm encouraged by yeah. kids um, right now. I'm encouraged by kids. I have a comparison I do every day, just sort of by default. I have ki- teenagers at my practice that I see and then kids at my school, same age. And the difference is huge when I can like be one-on-one with these kids can reach into their lives and actually speak into their lives the way that I feel like I was created to do where I'm my my work limits me Mm -hmm. it just does um there's standards that you kind of have to do your work by which is rightfully so um but as a Christian um I I there's things I want I want to pray with a client but you can't and you can clearly see that they they need some prayer but that's you know, that's not for them. And that's okay. That's, that's their journey. But at my school, I get to do that. So um, I'm encouraged by the kids that were struggling that are now taking a hold of their own education and they're thriving. And I get to be along for the ride. Which that's is so really rewarding. cool. Well, I can't wait to see, um, you know, what, what this, how the story ends up. I'm excited. Me too. All right. Well, again, uh, this is Holland Henderson with Allen and Company Financial Advisor. Please go on our website at allininvestments.com. And check us out. We got a lot of great uh, blogs and podcasts there from a lot of knowledgeable people. Uh, Until then, have a great day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC.